Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Deeper Still, the women's ministry podcast of Christ Church of Oak Brook. My name is Sue Ann Camfield, and I have so much fun hosting this podcast. So thanks so much for joining us today. Um, it is February in Chicago, and if you are local, uh, you know that we are freezing today. And so if you're listening locally, I hope you're cuddled up under a warm blanket with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or doing something nice and warm and settling in with us today. And I guess if you're listening from somewhere warm... Um, Cheers to you, too. We'll try not to be too mad at you uh, for that, but we're just glad that you chose to join us today. I do want to just take a moment and say a special shout out to a few friends. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my friends Sharon and Peter. Sharon, who leads a discussion group at our Butterfield campus based on this podcast, and I know they've been following along. And my friend Peter, who is a colleague of mine, um, also my friend Julie, my friend Sarah, who lives in Michigan, all of these beautiful people have sent me notes in the last couple weeks, just encouraging us and letting us know that they're listening and hanging in there with us. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, and to all of you, just your feedback means the world to us. And so please keep that coming. Let us know you're listening. Give us that feedback on how we can improve, what we can do better. Um, and also be sure to follow us of course, on Facebook and Instagram at Christchurch Women and share Deeper Still with your friends. Uh, we'd love to get the word out and I love hearing from new people who are finding us. And so uh, it's also just a great way for so many people who are feeling isolated right now to be connected to a larger community of women. And so even though we do that through, I guess, the airwaves, if we want to call it, um, it's still a way that we can do it right now. So again, thanks so much for listening and keep sharing it with your friends. One more uh, quick shout out before we move on to our topic today. Our friend and uh, pastor here at Christ Church, Tara Beth Leach, who was on the show just a couple of months ago, her book that we mentioned uh, back on that earlier episode, Radiant Church, is now out and it's getting rave reviews. And so we are so excited for her. We're huge fans of hers. So um, be sure to check out Radiant Church on Amazon or any other place that you might buy a book and uh, go ahead and download that or get your copy today and uh, let her know what you think about that as well. Well, today we are continuing our conversation on the book of James, and we're going to enter James chapter 4. And it's so funny because I don't know why I'm always so shocked when we do these. There is so much to cover, so much to cover today, but it's the beauty of God's Word. It's the privilege of getting to do what we do. So um, we are going to get to it. I am thrilled to have back in the studio with me today one of our favorite podcasters and frequent guests my friend Chris Stevenson. And so saddle up, open a Bible to James chapter 4 if you can, and settle in as we go deeper still. Chris Stevenson, welcome back to Deeper Still. How are you today? I am good. I was noticing when I came in that um, the sun was peeking out a little bit. It is. I know. And so melting a little bit of that last bit of snow that I didn't get shoveled off my driveway. Yes. Um, not that there are any 12-year-old boys listening to the Deeper Still podcast, but I would like to give a huge shout out to the little trio of young men who has been patrolling our neighborhood and offering their shoveling services. Um, oh. That has been a literal godsend. Yes, yes. Maybe that's a new market we need to go after. Do you think junior high, 12-year-old, young men? Yeah, there you go. I, you, if, you can figure out, if you can figure out how to pitch that. Um, 
I bet if we told them there was a bunch of women listening who needed their driveways shoveled for money, uh, that they would pay them, maybe that would help. There's some kind, maybe an advertising tie-in or something. I can yes. see it happening. My uh, my neighbor uh, this week brought over homemade cookies for us because Eric and Clay went over and shoveled their driveway. And what was funny, they brought it over and he said, these are for your son who works so hard. And when I, when I took it to Clay, he's like, I didn't really do anything. Dad did it all. <laughs> Well, and we were laughing last night as these like very delightful young men showed up at our house like for the third day in a row. Um, I said to Todd, I'm like, and I don't mind shoveling. I, it's a great way to be outside God and exercise, you. but I get over it, you know, after a while. And I said to Todd, I'm like, oh, I just think it's so great. These, you know, young guys are doing this and they're super polite and they do a great job. I'm like, what? why didn't our kids ever do that again? <laughs> and like, literally, why did I always shovel the driveway? I have a fully strong, healthy son and two daughters that are in good health, and yet I'm always the one shoveling the driveway. But uh, I also am real particular. I'm one yes. of those people. Oh, you're one of those. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, that's your own fault. But yeah, exactly. it is, it, you know, women are super superhuman people so that's why we do it all although we shouldn't that's an I shouldn't even say that don't do it all (laughs) I don't do it all so (laughs) well we are diving into James uh, chapter 4 verses 1 through 12 today and as I already mentioned Chris we have so much to cover there's so much good stuff packed into these 12 verses. And so like always, we won't cover everything. We can't. That's why it's awesome that people discuss uh, what they're learning in groups and with one another because uh, it pulls out more ideas. But we are going to kind of um, theme our conversation today. I'm hoping at least if we can stay on track, me and you, uh, three big ideas that we're going to hit today for our audience. We're going to talk about uh, what friendship with the world versus friendship with God looks like. And that's going to be in the first uh, four uh, to five verses. Uh, what does that mean? What does it not mean? What do we do with it? And then we're going to move into talking about humility and submission before God, which um, actually leads us to grace in that section, which is my favorite topic to talk about. So I love that. Uh, verses six to 10, we're going to talk about that. And then, gosh, Chris, we're going back to the tongue. Back to the tongue. Oh, I this. know. I was like, seriously, I've got to talk about that again? <laughs> yeah. I guess have something to say. That's right. And so uh, we are going to do that in the last couple of verses, 11 and 12, and um, just talk about why it's important to honor one another with our words. Apparently, we need to hear it again. And so, uh, Chris, would you do me the honor and just for our listeners to kind of get the context of where we are? Let's actually read the first of four verses. I'll just throw this little caveat right now. Verse five, for those of you who have maybe looked at the scripture or if you read this later, verse five is a little problematic. Not even problematic. It's a little kind of like theologians throughout time are not even sure what verse five means exactly. Right. So we're going to tie it in, but um, let's just, because that's what we do when we don't want to, we just skip verses in the Bible. That's horrible. (laughs) Actually, you're not supposed to do that, Sue Ann, but you know. What am I saying today? What what words are coming out of my mouth? I actually don't think verse five is that problematic. I don't think so either. I think it ties right in. So anyway, it's up to you. Either read the first four verses or the first five verses. Just give it to us. Here we go. So we are in James 4, and I will be reading verses 1 through 5. All right, do it. Not a girl. <laughs> not going to skip it. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive 
because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. So, Chris, last episode, when um, our friend Sally was here, we talked about wisdom, and we talked about the end of chapter three, and we talked about how there are two kinds of wisdom, and there's one kind of wisdom that's good, and another kind of wisdom that is not so good, because one comes from God, and one comes from the culture, it comes from the world around us, and... um, so this this piece, as we move into chapter four, it is building on that. So it's good for us to remember anytime we read our Bibles that anytime we isolate a set of verses, they always come with something before and after them. And so we need to be careful that we don't just look at something without always realizing what is around it. And so we just came off of this talking about sources of wisdom. And um Then we jump right in to uh, chapter four, and this idea of friendship with the world comes on the heels of that. And there is a correlation between these sources of wisdom, good wisdom, bad wisdom, um, as well as friendship with the world versus friendship with God. And so I'm wondering if you can help our audience as we begin this, just to, to make that connection a little bit about how these things are correlated and, and how we can build on the conversation from last week today. Well, and I think it is interesting because it's, it's jolting. I, I kind of joked with you and Sally that I was jealous because you guys got to go through some of my favorite verses in James, those beautiful descriptions of what godly wisdom looks like. And it's just this beautiful word picture of, you know, this f- whole life that is mature in faith and following God's wisdom. And then it's like, bam, you know, what's wrong with you? (laughs) You you quarrelers and fighters. And I think that James um, really wants us, he's setting up another contrast for Mm -hmm. us, just like he had that really strong contrast between that earthly wisdom, which we kept putting in, in air quotes when we talked about it, and godly wisdom. He's doing the same thing here. And he's, he wants you to see that, um, it is an, an either or like it's it's they are in in contrast to one another they stand in opposition mm-hmm. to one another and that's that's a real tough message mm-hmm. um, to grapple with at least on the surface I think um, and I think as we kind of get into what he's really saying when he's talking about being friends with the world in some ways it makes it harder, in some ways it makes it easier for me to kind of settle into it. Yeah, because it doesn't mean that everything of the world is bad. Just like even when we had this conversation about wisdom, you know, there is wisdom that comes from, uh, you know, the world. I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, You know, we might get finance advice that's not necessarily, maybe that's not a great example, but uh, we can get wisdom from the world that isn't necessarily uh, from the Bible, but that is good, solid advice. And so, again, we don't throw it all out, but we look at it through the lens of believers. And so we have a different source of wisdom. So even wisdom we get from the world, we lay on top of that. Uh, What is our source? Where does it come from? And this idea of friendship is the same thing, that not every, it doesn't mean everything that's of the world is bad. Right. But what are we actually, uh, we're going to get into this idea of devotion. What are we mm-hmm. devoted to? What is, what, is our, what are our hearts set on? Where are we actually aligning our body, our soul, our mind, our finances, our resources? What are we aligned to? Is it 
Are we putting that friendship with things of the world or are we putting that friendship, that devotion, that commitment to our relationship with the Lord? Yeah, and I think um, that is something that we we choose that daily too. Um, you know, I think this, there was a real interesting in, in the Beth Moore study, which I will confess right off the bat, I'm probably the only person like listening to this podcast who like hasn't done a Beth Moore video series or anything, but I bought the Beth Moore study book for James. And I sometimes feel like I should just like put a giant disclaimer in front of everything I say mm-hmm. that because so much of it is influenced by kind of her words. And one of the things that she really lays out as a practical challenge to kind of test the waters on this is to literally graphically take a piece of paper and on the left hand side write the devil evil satan you know kind of your choice for the the evil one on the other side write god and then put yourself in the middle Mm. and then put an arrow headed each direction to kind of illustrate that that tension that we are pulled both directions in that and um we have to make an active choice to move to I th- I would argue that the pull towards the world is often the stronger one mm. if we don't actively resist it. Well, and it's also subtle. And so we yeah. it's also, you know, we don't always um we don't always make this clear distinction between that is evil and that is godly. It's not, you know, we don't live in a black and white world and things get kind of gray and and sometimes we start heading towards uh, friendship with the world in a way, and we don't even realize it. Right. Like we, we sometimes we have to do these course corrections. At least I hope we do to go. Oh, wait a minute! This TV show I'm watching right now, I'm really enjoying it. But is this actually good for my soul? Is this good for my mind? Yeah. Is this is this honoring God and what I'm doing? Uh, maybe I should cancel this one off my Netflix <laughs> you know, subscription or whatever it might be. So it's have subtle. you been looking at my Netflix? I know. Too? I know. I have a couple right now. I'm being embarrassed to. I get a. I get a pivot, <laughs> as my friend Carla says. I get a pivot oh. on a few. I hear you. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting about James uh, 4 verse 1 is the question he starts out because he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And so often we think of this um, friendship with the world as this individual idea. Right, this is me and my relationship with the Lord. But but he goes on beyond that, right? We don't live in a bubble. We don't live alone. We we live in community with one another. And so what causes fights and quarrels among us? Um, well, when we desire what we don't have, this word desire is the same word he has used in chapter three that is envy or covet. And he's he's already said when we live out of that source of wisdom, um, earthly wisdom, it creates selfish ambition, bitterness, uh, envy, all of these things. And we're seeing now as we move into chapter four, the fruit of that then is not just um, we feel bad because we've made a bad choice and now we're going to in our own lives pivot back to God, but yet it's actually causing us to fight, um, maybe not outright with one another. It's causing quarrels and division because um, oftentimes when we are at friendship with the world, again, this is going to go to devotion. We're going to talk when we get to this world, this word um, adulterous when we get there in just a second, but it's this devotion. What are you committed to? And we're, we're committed to uh, things that are for our own good, our own pleasure, our own desire. Uh, that and someone else that we're in relationship with is also only committed to their needs, their desire, their their own um their own pleasures, 
then what's going to happen? We're going to be at odds with one another. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, you know, to first note that we are we are wired to desire things. Mm. We are wired to desire God. And outside of God, we are going to be a people left wanting. Mm. That That's just the, the plain and simple truth. You know, you go back to Ecclesiastes. He said eternity in the hearts of men, the idea of the God-shaped whole. We have different ways of expressing this, but we... We are created to long for more than right now, right here. I'm, I'm going to say what we have, but that's not what I mean because it's not a material thing. So that the desires aren't the problem. It's when they're, like, like to your point, when they're misdirected. And the word, the Greek word that's used here is hedone, which you probably recognize as the root word for hedonism, um, which is that just... It's used a number of times in the New Testament, and it's this idea of just kind of like self-indulgent, self-focused. Mm. Um, the word itself isn't necessarily always bad, but it, it trends that way the most the way the New Testament uses it. Um, pleasure is important. Avoid pain. And this was and this was in the Greek world, you know, very much this idea. You know, uh, Epicurus, who is you know, Epicurean is the the food if you're really into food it's like just indulge all your pleasures and all your sensations and you know on and on and on well everybody can't do that if we all indulge every sensual desire every you know bodily seek out every bodily pleasure the world is going to be an ugly messy place oh wait look it kind of is and so i think um it's that idea of redirecting those desires and submitting them to God, having them in the right place that kind of right the ship, so yes. to speak. And again, it goes back to the, the earthly godly wisdom thing. What does earthly wisdom do? It creates all that divide and that quarreling. And and he's arguing here, you know, that friendship is really, just, friendship with the world is just an extension mm-hmm. of that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to get into that submission and humility because that's what it's going to come down to. When what are we submitted? What do we submit ourselves to? What do we humble ourselves before when when um, we have these decisions to make? Who are we going to serve, right? Jesus says you can't serve two masters. And so um, that's the picture that we're looking at, which I think is also interesting because James, um, you know, so much of the book of James is based on Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're seeing that again here, even through James' words, he's taking the teaching of Jesus and he's saying it in a different way, but you can see, you know, he's, he, he's rooted it in this very clear teaching of Jesus yeah, that, absolutely. yeah, yeah, where our focus is. So I want to, I'm going to take what might be a tangent for just a minute. I'm going to try not to take too long on this. So Chris, if I, if I just start getting long and boring, you just cut me off or jump in here, <laughs> but I do want to, I, I want to do a little, um, Bible teaching, I guess, a little theology around this word, um, you adulterous people, adulterers. Because what's interesting is James along the way has been calling us his brothers and sisters. Um, and now all of a sudden we're getting this word, this really, you were talking about being jarred. You know, mm-hmm. when I read this word, you adulterer, uh, it's a jarring word. And I, I just want, um, again, to put it in the light of the larger contrast context of scripture as we try to be good Bible students and know the whole story of God, not just a piece of it. Um, um, and just give you a little context around this. So we have said all along as we've studied the book of James that James is writing to the first century church. Um, he's writing to Jewish believers. And so Jewish believers during ancient times would have had 
a way of understanding God, a way of understanding Yahweh, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that has been passed down through them through the generations. Um, the Bible, for them, uh, they didn't have, you know, this book they were, <laughs> like we do, that they were walking around with that included the Old and the New Testament because they were writing the New Testament at the time. And so the early church, the scrolls they would have had would have been the Old Testament. And so when Jesus quoted Scripture, and even James, when as he is quoting Scripture, they're quoting the prophets. They're quoting the Psalms. They're quoting the law in the Old Testament, the words of Moses. And so this is what they're pulling from. And this would be part of their story. It would be part of their oral tradition of how they understood God. And so one of those um, metaphors that Israel and the people of God and the Jewish people would have used to explain God that we see throughout the Old Testament is that Yahweh um, was like a husband to the nation of Israel, and Israel was his bride. It was this imagery that was their covenant relationship, and we see it over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Um, and part of the reason for that, because if you go back to ancient times, all right, like I said, hang with me here for a minute. I think this is fascinating, but just hang hang with me, don't you know? Um, when you go back to the ancient world in the Old Testament times, we have a polytheistic culture. They worshiped many, many gods. There was not just one God. So monotheism was a new idea. When God came to the people of Israel and said, I am going to be your God, my, your God and you're going to be my people. It was kind of a radical idea. It was, again, this covenant relationship in which God expected the people to worship him and him alone. And so we see when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments on Sinai in Exodus 20, the first command he gives, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. First of all, God always calls people back to his character who he is and what he does. I am the Lord your God. I delivered you. <laughs> Remember my faithfulness. He does it over and over again. And then he says, first words he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He is like in a spousal relationship when a husband loves their wife so much that they get jealous when their wife's uh, wife's attention wives attention goes to someone else and so we see throughout the history of israel god keeps reminding his people over and over again your devotion is to me alone do not worship any other god uh, destroy all the other altars that are out there and we see throughout the history of israel people get it wrong again and again and again and it eventually leads to Israel's destruction, um, and it leads to eventually, on the positive side, it leads to what Jesus came here to do. Yeah. He came to fulfill the law because the people just could not get it right. And so um, it's really easy for us to point the finger at them and say, why couldn't they just listen? Why couldn't they just do what God said to do and be devoted to God alone? How hard could it be to just worship one God? And then we come to the book of James, and you and I are sitting here having this conversation about our devotion to the world, friendship with the world, where we get our wisdom, and we mess it up all the time, too. And I'm sure sometimes God is looking at us saying, 
how hard can it be, people? Yeah. <laughs> uh, just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Is it really that hard? I've given you two things to do, and you people, you just you can't seem to to get it right. But I think the the beauty in James calling us using this word adulterer, it would have hit the ears of the people that he was talking to. But even as we understand that today, that that word is saying when we choose things other than God. That's that's the it's not um, our relationship with God is not this transactional relationship where we're just following the rules. It is this intimate friendship, yeah. this marriage type relationship, which when we break the covenant, there is pain and we need to reconcile that. And so so that's kind of a, the, the waiter meat behind this word. And it makes me kind of stop in my tracks for a minute and say, OK, who, who am I going to serve? Where yeah. is my devotion? Well, and I think, yeah, the the marriage imagery throughout the Bible into the New Testament as well, you know, the church being the bride of Christ. And when you go back to the Old Testament prophet Hosea and like redeeming Gomer over and over yes. again, despite, you know, the adultery, like those are all things that would have resonated with these Jewish believers. And they are meant to resonate with us um, because it is all too easy to kind of think we can have it both ways. Mm. I think we live in a culture right now, especially that the idea of commitment in general, um, whether it's commitment to a spouse, commitment to a, you know, an online streaming service, mm-hmm. we change our minds and move back and forth through things without thought. And that is not what God calls us to. And again, because of his design for us, mm-hmm. you know, we see when we look at um, statistics, but then just personal experience with people who have gone, you know, gone through romantic and, you know, physically involved relationships because the world says, eh, it's not that big a deal, you know, commitment, mm-hmm. save that for later or whatever. And we we see the damage that does yes, because that is not our, our God has designed us to be in relationship with him, to be in, relationship with other people that falls under his guidelines he made us he knows what is best for us and i think that's one of the things that keeps keeps coming out to me over and over again it these aren't arbitrary mean rules to make you miserable and go "Mm, they're for our good because he knows us and he loves us yes yeah, they're done out of love and this desire for relationship with the thing he created, the people that he created. Yeah, and it's funny. One of the things I was thinking about um, when Tara Beth Leach preached on Sunday and we're doing a two-week marriage series that is great if you're married, but even if you're not, it has so much um, just great, great teaching in it. But towards the end, she was talking about kind of the covenant, marriage covenant and when you say yes. So, you know, if you are married and you, have taken marriage vows and you're saying yes you know till death do us part and and all the other your yes also is saying no to something else and i know i have a, a book on my bookshelf by somebody from some point but like the greater <laughs> yes and this idea that like in saying yes we're saying no to the world flip aside is also true when we say yes to the world we may well be saying no to god and something and so that's just 
I don't know, that was just a little thought that was kind of rattling around my brain after I left church on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. There's so much good stuff here. We could spend our whole time just <laughs> talking on this piece. So I mean, good. it literally, if you look at the verses throughout the Old Testament that talk about just this, it's, it's and even in the New Testament, yeah. Jesus comes and says, you adulterous people, because they're having the same issue. And so, uh, so much good stuff here, but we got to move on. Yep. And we're going to move on, starting with verse six, which is my favorite verse of this passage, because friends, there are good, there is good news. There is good news, and this goes back to the relationship and how our God is so devoted to us, even when we're not devoted to him. Verse 6 says, but he gives us more grace. (laughs) Even when we get it all wrong, even when we don't get it right, he gives us more grace. He gives us more grace than we need because he knows what we need. And this is what scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Come near to God, he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This word again that James pulls out, you double-minded, when we have our affections going two ways. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughing to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. There is hope, and there is grace, in there. Chris, what what stirs in you when you read these verses? I just, I love to hear them read aloud. Um, we've talked about that before, having scripture read aloud to you or over you is such a powerful thing. And I, I love that in the middle of this passage, this is amidst some really hard stuff, we get this reminder, but he gives us more grace. Mm-hmm. Because if you go back up to what we've just heard, adulterous, friendship of the world, evil, slander, but... Mm. But, but God, and I, I, that just is so hopeful because then he's going to challenge us with some really specific things that are hard. And I think one of the things that I did um, kind of take out of here, because I really struggle with that first part of friendship with the world and friendship with God, because I'll be super honest, there are a lot of things in the world that are, that I are tempting to me and that I like. Some of them probably aren't bad for my soul. Some of them undoubtedly are. But then I think about God gives us more grace and he's offering us that friendship relationship. And I don't want to miss out on that, that when you give up friendship with the world, you're invited into friendship with God. And that is like God of the universe doesn't just want you to worship him. He wants that. But he tells us in no uncertain terms that he desires our friendship. Jesus calls his disciples and others who believe in him my friends. We hear stories in the Old Testament about Abraham being called a friend of God. Moses and Joshua met in a tent with God and experienced friendship with him. So when you're turning your back on the world and, and making that hard choice, because it is a hard choice, to turn towards God and pursue relationship with him and that friendship is is mm. unparalleled yeah. and that to me that's super exciting in the midst of all the all the dark stuff and then he's going to give us just this super practical list hard <laughs> super practical and super hard <laughs> but uh, of ways to do that he he isn't just leaving us there saying all right now go figure it out right good luck right <laughs> you right know? Well, he he says first to humble yourself, and this goes a bit again back. We had this conversation around wisdom. It's it's when you get to a place where you realize you can't do it on your own. We can't make all these 
good decision. We can't be wholly devoted to God every day on our own without the grace of God. And so we have to humble ourselves, acknowledge that, and ask God for his grace to help us and then forgive us when we mess up. And so there is, it's couched in that submission and that humility. And then he does give us some ways. He says, you gotta, you gotta resist the devil forcefully, not, not passively, but forcefully. Um, I found this great quote, and now I'm not gonna find it on my paper. Oh, here, I don't know who, I, I don't know who to attribute this to, but it says, um, the devil can wrestle with the Christian, but cannot throw him or her. And I thought that is a great, in resisting the devil, we can dance, we can wrestle, we might have some struggle, but at the end of the day, when we're submitted with God, the devil does not win. Yeah, and I think to be really clear, once you have committed your life to a relationship with with Jesus, the devil is on a leash. You know, it's why, and I don't the idea of like demon possession, a, a Christian can't be demon possessed, they can be, you know, tormented. And I don't even want to go Way there. Way to throw that, that one in there. <laughs> Thanks for that. I will never get asked back again. Um, but so I want to be really clear about that. We have the power of the Holy Spirit yes. in us to resist the devil, but we have to choose to do so and to avail ourselves of that. And I think one somewhere I saw said, we have to we have to take imperative action. Mm. And it's pretty cool because these are, James is an imperative kind of guy, that yes. command tone. Yes. He, he uses it a lot. He, I think he's an eight on the Enneagram. <laughs> I think I think he might not be wrong there. Um, but yeah, resist the devil forcefully. And then he just, it, but then he flips and then come near to God. Yes. And it's kind of this, you know, this back and forth between, you know, turning your back on the world, turn towards God, wash your hands, purify your hearts. Yes, and and I also want to be clear, at least to my understanding, that some of this sounds really heavy when he gets to this. You know, turn your your mourning, your you know, wail and no joy. This is not God calling us to a joyless life either. Right. This is a response to our sinful behavior, our sinful impulses. That we are to grieve and to mourn and to take them seriously. Mm-hmm. This is not, but this is not. God saying, if I see you crack a smile, right, I'm out of here. Right. It's not that. Right. And you know, one of the things I think I've learned the longer I journey with the Lord, and we're talking about verse nine right now, where it says, grieve, mourn, and wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And that you're right. That does sound um, gloomy. <laughs> But God is telling us to take our sin seriously. And I think I didn't learn this till I was probably in my 30s. Because, you know, I thought I was a pretty good person. I thought, you know, I mean, what's what what have I done that's so wrong? I've lived a pretty good, uh, these are my air quotes, mm-hmm. I've lived a pretty good life. And then I got into my 30s and I started being confronted with my own sin in new ways and realizing, you know, just the mirror was being held up to me more and more and realizing, that, oh, I'm, I'm not all I'm cracked up to be. And there is a None tendency. None of us are. <laughs> really? <laughs> There is a tendency to get in those places where we can really beat ourselves up and they can be shame filled. Um, I'm not good enough. I don't, you know, God, God couldn't love me. God couldn't forgive me. All lies. Um, but when we recognize our own sin, there, there is that tendency to think that way. And I went through a period of time in my 30s where I was beating myself up left and right. And I have to say, Part of it, however, once I went through that process and understood God's truth knew over me about 
um, who I was as a sinful person, but who I was as a redeemed child of God, and that I can hold those two things side by side and be okay with both of those. Once I once I understood the depth of that, okay, this is why Ash Wednesday is my favorite oh, service of the whole year. Yes. And and, and I, we never did Lent before we came to Christ Church. I didn't know what Ash Wednesday was. I, I thought it was just a certain group of people that did it. And now I bask in Ash Wednesday because it's this very intentional time to recognize my sin and recognize my humanity and recognize my weakness, to take my sin seriously, as you said. But I can do that because I know the grace of God. I can sit there and I can say, I cannot do this on my own. I am a sinful fleshy human being that you can call me an adulterer all day long a friendship with the world because I also know this this other story that comes along where God sees that and he covers me in his grace and he covers me by the cross and so it's okay to live in the reality of who we are as sinful people at the same time we live in the reality that we are made new that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, we are set free. Yeah, preach it, sister. And that, I, <laughs> it's just the beauty <laughs> yeah. of the cross. It is is the most beautiful thing about the cross. Well, and I think, you know, God gives us that gift of confession yes. and the pattern of that for that very reason. And it's interesting. I think it's something I'm still learning so much about. Um, again, not growing up in a tradition that you know had a formal confession process and for the record i actually think there's some real value to the catholic practice mm. of confession for this very reason if yeah. practiced in a way that's not just kind of trying to like take a big eraser and erase your page and right but like the practice of naming your sin mm. is super powerful and i um i started a prayer journal this year because full confession I struggle with having a um, a committed and regular prayer life that's not kind of grab it and hear pieces here and there. And so I, I decided that was something I wanted to try this year. And I didn't really look for any guidelines about how to, I just had a blank journal and was going to try to figure out a, a plan because I'm a plan and a system <laughs> kind of girl. And I just started, I like wrote down, you know, like prayer reminders and praise and thanksgiving. And then I don't really know what caused me to do this, but I wrote confession on the bottom of the page. I've never, I know, you know, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, all the little formulas, but I've never like written that down in a book before. And so like, as I go do my a page, I end it and probably I should move that confession to the top. But like, I am actually writing down in real words, I'm confessing things. And like you, know, I, I think I'm a pretty nice person. I'm pretty good. And like, I start to like, I, I, turns out I don't have to think real hard about something to confess. <laughs> turns out, amazing. And and it's it's confronts me with uh, as much as anything. I have you know sinful actions, obviously, but I have a lot of mm. sinful thought patterns and motives, and or or just even like halfway motives, you yeah. know, things that are good, but that my pride turns the other way. And so that has been um a real good practice in humility for me. Yeah. And it's that idea of putting God in his right place. And it's so funny how things come full circle. You know, we, we've touched on Sally's wisdom piece. Going back to Car your podcast with Carla Peer, I just listened to a podcast this morning that had nothing to do with James 4, at least on the surface. But the guy who spoke, Trig Johnson, who's the chaplain um, at Hope College, he said, if you know who you are, you know what to do. Identity precedes activity. Mm. So going back to, if you know that you're a child of God, 
then you know what to do next. Mm. You know to turn to him and you know to take these steps. And um, so that I just, yeah. It's so just good. so good, Sue Ann. So Do good. we really They're only so... have an hour? I know, I know. <laughs> We're going to move on in just a second, but I have to say one more thing um, about this section because the other phrase I, in here that I love so much is wash your hands, purify yourself. This wash your hands. And, um, you know, in 2020, 2021, <laughs> we wash our hands a lot. We, this could be a, actually a practice. Every time we use hand sanitizer, we could think of this verse. Uh, wash your hands. And in, in the um, Old and the New Testament, it was this practice. The priests had to bathe from head to toe before they would go into the temple. They'd had to purify themselves. Jewish people, when they went to eat dinner, they had to, they had to go through this um, purifying ritual. They had to wash their hands as a symbol of entering into what was holy, entering into worship. And just what you shared about confession, that is part of our process of purifying ourselves, of washing our hands. And 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 Jesus talks about, you know, um, it's not just the outside. Obviously, the hands symbolize what's on the inside. It's not just, if we're just going to wash, squirt on some hand sanitizer and not go any further than that, that's not the point. When we think about this idea of purity, it's it's external and internal, what's inside. And that's a beautiful confession is a great picture of how we wash our hands yeah. before we come before the Lord. Yeah, and I love that just how that would have, again, resonated with the Jewish readers and listeners. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of little, the idea of, um, too, that the Jewish people did this in a community. I think that's a piece that um, is something else that's kind of been hitting me in the face a lot lately is our Western um, individual Mm. Christianity needs a good dose of community in it. And, you know, the the Jewish people, I mean, think about our study last spring of of Ezra and Nehemiah. The people confessed their sin and, and, and wept and lamented and did a lot of the things on this list together as a group before the restoration mm-hmm. of of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple and and that was also a pattern in the life of of the Jewish people and in the this these new testament believers as yeah. well which i i think is something we could yeah. probably learn from it's bringing it into the light it's mm-hmm. always when we bring things into the light it doesn't hold the same power exactly. and and we're scared to bring it into the light but that's what ultimately allows it to come out and to be healed and to be made new yeah. so so many good things in there um all right let's get back to our speech for a few minutes um verses 11 and 12 it's funny james goes back to calling us brothers and sisters we're no longer adulterers now (laughs) we're back to being his friends again uh but he says brothers and sisters again this community idea do not slander one another for anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver. There's only one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. I don't think any of us have the power to save or destroy, um, but you, so who are you to judge your neighbor? And so he brings us back to um, this idea of slander, which is not necessarily a word we use a whole lot, uh, in today's culture, maybe when we think in relationship to one another, we use it maybe in uh, more cultural, like a legal term. Legal terms, yeah. but we're going to talk about because um, it's very actually convicting to think about the word slander. But Chris, I want to get your thoughts, um, and you can either talk about the Shema here and the Royal Commandment if you want to go there, or you start where you want. Okay, but uh, you, so you many start. good things. I okay, know. well, and I will say it's interesting because I think that you're right that word slander is not a word in kind of common parlance today. It's a legal term. But 
here it's covering a pretty broad range of speech here so this is one of those like if you think oh i definitely don't slander people i haven't been in court lately (laughs) yeah that's that's not really what, what james is talking about here and um and again we know how he feels about the power of the tongue and he's just reminding us here about god as the judge and and i think this is where the shema bit keeps coming into me at different places. So, Can you remind our listeners will, what the Shema is? I will is? remind our listeners of the Shema. So the Shema comes from the Old Testament. So again, our Jewish believers totally know all about this. Um, it's found, you see it a couple different places, but Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 is, I think, the first place where you see it. And it was a command. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then Jesus, because Jesus was a Jewish man, don't ever forget it, um, he adds on to it in Matthew, or expands upon it mm-hmm. in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. He repeats the Shema, and then he adds on to it, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what that says to me, that a, really it comes into play in so many different places here. This was something that the Jewish people were meant to say multiple times throughout the day. It was this constant Reminder, verbal reminder, written reminder, if they had it somewhere, of the proper order of things. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So it puts God at the top, which automatically puts us underneath Him. Not on a, you know, we're not like God here and then I'm off to the side sitting on my own little secondary throne. Like God is first. And I, for the first time ever, I'm reading this, and I've even read a book on this before and I missed it. But he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart. So it, it intertwines that idea, too, of our he's our God as this community of believers, and then he makes it personal. Mm. Now, this God who's the God of the community of believers, love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with your mind. And I would argue that with all your tongue. Mm, <laughs> it's, right. it's, I mean, it's, it's really meant to be a completely... Would, a completely holistic approach to submitting yourself, putting yourself underneath God, and then living that out in community by loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, and if, if you are living by that kind of a, a standard, this should come natural. It should make sense, at least. I think what's kind of funny is that, again, these are Jewish believers. They know it. And James is going, you guys, this is this is not what you're, you are not looking like a Shema people mm-hmm. right now because mm-hmm. of the way you're using your tongues against one another and the way the quarreling that he's referencing in the beginning. But just returning to that proper order of God here and we're underneath. But again, remembering the beautiful promises that come with it. If you go back to that, the second half of verse six, which I will never find it fast enough here, but um, and he's quoting the Old Testament. He said, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble, or some translations like, say literally lift, like lifts you up. Mm-hmm. So we don't need, God will take care of getting us in our proper place if we first put ourselves under him. We don't need to worry about tooting our own horn or, mm-hmm. or elevating ourselves above others. God's got that covered when we humble ourselves to him, and he's got it covered by the blood of Jesus by, you know, naming us as sons and daughters of the king, all of that. And when when we don't honor one another with our words, we break both of those commands. Yes. We dishonor God um, because we're not treating God's created, right, as as the image of the creator. 
Um, and we're we're dishonoring one another. We're discouraging one another. This idea of slander, of saying something about someone when they are not present, that may or may not may or may not be true. Um, ladies, do we ever do that? Do we ever talk about someone that is not in our presence? And sometimes we couch it. Oh, I love them so much, but oh, I I, I confess <laughs> I do that. Right? We're like uh-huh. they're a really nice person, but you know. Um, and I, I had something happen actually on the way here as I was thinking about this idea of slander because I think so often what happens, what leads us to say something about someone else that might not be true, that's a criticism when they are not there to defend themselves or set the record straight, um, we often do it because we we don't know the full story. We have made assumptions in our own mind. We're, we're not assuming the best of our brother or sister. We make assumptions. We, we have um, concocted this narrative in our head of not corrected it or checked it with the person that we're actually talking about. We do this all the time in little and big ways. Sometimes it's really small ways. But on the way here... Uh, there was a little accident on Butterfield Road, a little fender bender. And um, I was, you know how when you're in like a long line of cars uh, and you can't always see what's going on and you know. And so by the time it was my time to kind of pull up to where the little accident was, most of the road was cleared. Um, There was a guy standing in the middle of the road wrapped in a blanket. I still am not exactly sure why. Um, And some people were merging into another lane and it looked like um, I should have been able to just keep going straight forward until I got to the actual spot and there is glass and pieces of debris all over the road. And so I did kind of have to stop a little quickly because I saw it as when I came up on it and I had to start trying to get over to merge. And there is this guy in this big red F-150 truck behind me. Not just, that you noticed. <laughs> not that I noticed. He was bald. Not that I noticed. <laughs> Slam, just laying his heart, uh, laying his on the horn, and I'm just watching all these, you know, words come out of his mouth at me. And I just want to say, dude, you can't see what I see. Like, I know you think I'm just being a stupid woman driving a minivan, but you are not seeing what's right in front of me because you don't have the full story. And so I finally got off, you know, and he, you know, his F-150 could probably run over the debris. And and I wanted to say, like, you know, if you would have stopped and asked me, hey, why did you stop? Why did that happen? Uh, What was the story in front of you that I couldn't see? What was your perspective? Of course he didn't do that. Um, but if that's what we would do with one another, because so often we see, we know the picture in front of us and the other people around us who may be making assumptions about us not in our presence are telling stories <laughs> about us when they don't see the broken glass on the road. They didn't know that a good uh, a, a family member was also texting me some very bad news that that was happening at the same time. They didn't know what was happening inside my car. All they knew that I wasn't doing what they wanted me to do. Yeah, well, and I think it's interesting. It's not only the glass in front of us. It's It might have, you know, it's sometimes the immediate story and then it's sometimes everything that somebody brings with them. And that's why I think we're reminded throughout scripture that God is leave judgment to God. And there are times to be clear when God delegates the role of judgment um, to to confront sin, especially within the body of believers. Um, that's a real hard thing to do, and I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot because I'm not <laughs> real sure how will you go about that gracefully. But again, if we come back to the submitting to God mm-hmm. part of it, we recognize that. We, mm-hmm. we recognize our own junk, our own sin, we recognize that God is the only one who ever is going to know the whole story. Mm. He's, you know, 
he was sitting with you in the minivan and saw not just the glass and heard the phone call, but also saw, you know, whatever happened to you, 24 hours, right. all of that. And that is why he's the only true and perfect judge. Yeah. And again, that doesn't excuse us from using discernment and making sure. judgments about things. And that's in the uh, conversation. But that's typically not where we no. get it wrong. And it was <laughs> kind of hilarious in the NIV commentary. I, I This was at 6.30 last, or what's today, Tuesday? That was Monday, Sunday. 6.30 Sunday, I when I was still like in the weeds with this one, and Todd's like, um, it's almost halftime of the Super Bowl. Um, are we going to have dinner? <laughs> and it, it was when I was in the middle of this commentary on this that was talking just about this fact, about how God does delegate it, but far more often than not, when we think that we're sitting in judgment, we are doing so in a way that's not appropriate. Right. And it's right. not coming um, from a place of godly wisdom or right. perfect love or right. any of those. Well, spots. and then we go back to verse six, but God gives us more grace. But God gives us more and grace. And so when we understand the grace we received, we have no choice but to pour that grace out on other people. It's love God, love your neighbor. It all stems from us understanding yeah. this idea of the grace we've received. And so we have no choice but to extend it. And so yeah. I get really passionate about this topic. I, I really... Know. I feel like we both kind of kept scooting <laughs> forward in our chairs a little bit. <laughs> it's, 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 well, because it, it changes people's lives. Yes. Those words, sometimes to your point, they are little words and other times uh, one wrong statement one wrong comment in a room full of people or a tweet on social media, you name it, yeah, can change everything for somebody. Yeah. And that that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Ladies, let's be let's be women who choose our words wisely yes. and remember the grace we have received and just be generous with one another in the community of faith because I think the world could use that right now, maybe more than ever. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, Chris, I hate to say that we're out of time because this just flew by. I know. Uh, so much rich stuff here today. So thank you, as always, for just bringing your best, bringing your best mind, soul, and heart to the table and just blessing the people that are listening. So um, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you so much. Thanks, as always, for inviting me. And ladies, I just want to encourage you, if you have never taken the time to just do a really deep dive on your own into a piece of scripture that is exciting to you or even one that you're not sure about, take the time to do it because I will tell you that I, it's something I've discovered about myself, I get set on fire when I do this. Mm -hmm. Just steeping in something for several hours, and we don't all have several hours. There's so many great resources on the internet, there are, through our church, do that for yourself. Yes. Get on fire for the Word of God because it it will change you. Yeah. Amen. Sorry, that has nothing a, to do with anything. No, but has, I just it has to do with everything. Well, so that's a good word to end this up. on. I love it. Uh, that's what that's what happened. So, thanks, friend. I appreciate you, and I'm so glad that you uh, chose to join us today. Thank you. Well, friends, as always, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Um, no matter where you find yourself on your journey today, no matter which part of this conversation kind of stirred something in your own soul, I hope and I pray that God met you exactly where you're at, that He gave you exactly what you needed, that you found some new nuggets of His truth and His grace that just remind you to stay the course, stay committed to that which you know is true. 
be devoted to the one who created you. And when you mess it all up, like we all do, just be reminded of God's grace. But he gives us more grace. So friends, just walk in that truth today. Walk in his love and his peace. Um, At the same time, humbly ask him, ask him to reveal to you how he may be calling you to go deeper still with him because he loves you and he's devoted to you. So that's our word for the day. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you back here in um, two weeks as our friend and another pastor, Tracy Bianchi, is going to join us as we finish out James chapter four. So make sure you come back again, share with a friend, um, but most important, just go uh, have a great day and we will see you back here real soon.